Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on hiring a makeup artist at a gay wedding, getting ready to go through security at the airport, getting a bonus you don't want, and enjoying what's on the rim of a cocktail. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question is about having dinner with your partner's mother for the first time, and who pays? Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we bring you the first half of our interview with Emily Ladau, author of Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And today is kind of a big day at the Emily Post Institute. It is. It will have already happened by the time this podcast airs, but we are launching our very brand new product, our digital downloads, our digital planners. Dan, this is about four weeks in the making at this point, and I am very, very excited for today. (laughs) This is like a grab the champagne bottle kind of day. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, you grab the champagne bottle, I'm going to grab the mic because it's my turn to toot your horn just a little bit. (laughs) This is so awesome. And Awesome Etiquette is definitely the place to share the enthusiasm that Lizzie Post and I both have for what we're talking about, which is... The launch of digital products from Emily Post. And it it sounds so banal or sort of simple when I say it like that, but it's it's so much cooler than anyone is thinking when I say digital products or digital downloads. Lizzie Post has taken everything that she learned over two years writing the centennial edition of Emily Post Etiquette, both the eye for content, the love of language, but also the The commitment to design and thinking about how we present all of what we talk about at Emily Post in ways that people can understand it, can hear it, and can see it. And what I see happening with these digital downloads is essentially little mini books that you, Lizzie Post, are producing for all of us. And they take Emily Post content and put it on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. They link things like menu planners and gift tracking registry lists or what lists <laughs> yeah <laughs> ledgers <laughs> things that are are things that we recommend people do with the advice that we give and we've paired the ability to actually do those things with the advice and isolated that ability around certain concepts like hosting a party hosting a particular kind of party writing a thank you note preparing for an interview and the first packet that you've worked on all center around wedding parties and it's a great little three planner set of information and planning tools for your engagement party your wedding shower or your bridal luncheon and lizzie they came out beautiful i think that your (laughs) your design work on them was as good as your content work on them and i know why you're so excited to release them i know why (laughs) you're feeling so good today and i hope that 
that champagne cork is pointed somewhere else <laughs> when it finally pops and you deserve it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I am really excited about these. In some ways, they were born uh, sort of out of two things. And one is that we've always known we we'd wanted to do this. And then we kind of tried to apply this to the book with the reference sections, with the resource guides that are at the end of each chapter. And we loved those guides so much and we wanted them to be more useful. We wanted them to be a checklist that was right there on your phone that you could fill reuse it out. and fill <laughs> out. That the self-assessment is something that, you know, when you're thinking about, about how you want to present yourself as a person in the world, that that's something you could really, you know, run yourself through. That a, a prep list for a party that you are hosting at your home is something useful and, and not just something where you're going to use, you know, 500 sheets of paper over a lifetime to prepare for or something like that. It, we, we really wanted it to be the digital useful version of all the advice that we ooh, give. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, How about yeah. sample invitation language S yes. specific to the kind of party, party or event you're that you're throwing? Exactly. So those types of things are in here. And it's been stuff we've wanted for a really long time. And actually a conversation with one of our former co-workers at Emily Post, Elizabeth Howell, really ab about marketing and about our branding and about the content that we have to work with was so inspirational that a five o'clock hour long Friday conversation turned into four weeks of nonstop work that's gotten us to a, a storefront. We have an Emily Post storefront now that you can visit. And it really was sort of the the grease for the wheel, maybe, is the way to put it. Um, so really want to thank Elizabeth Howell for that inspiration. She's also an amazing, amazingly talented marketing and, and PR professional. For any of you who are interested in finding out more, please find her on good old Instagram and social media. But it's really been a dream come true. I can't help it. I lie awake at night, even after what is now like a doubled workday. And I'm on the the website, Dan, and I'm like looking at our downloads. Oh, oh, I, ready you don't to need go. to convince like, me because like, I get I the emails it, and man. the text messages and the because you're unable to, to fall asleep <laughs> at night when you're thinking about this stuff. It's so exciting. Oh, yeah. No, you get the 2 a.m. emails. <laughs> and the Dan, check this out. Oh, look, it worked. Look, a sale went through. We can really do this. Um, Thumbs it's up. Like that. It's uh, like that. I mean, sometimes we use this show to kind of pull back the curtain. And I mean, two days ago, we thought we were going to launch this thing. And sure enough, our sales system that we had in place really wasn't functioning the way we wanted it to. So we up and moved to a different platform, found another sales system, and boom, we've got what we want. But we have to go through those same things here at Emily Post. We have those same hang-ups, hiccups, excitement moments, starter moments, fits and starts within all the starter moments. And it's, it is very exciting to get something that so many people feel excited about. I've actually tested out Dan by sending to a couple of our podcast listeners. Nice these as text message uh, PDFs so that they could interact with them and check them out. And uh, our friend Wendy, the very first thing she said was, 
did you guys like know that I'm a bridesmaid this year and like I need to host a wedding shower? I was like, no, we didn't, but I'm glad this is what you want. <laughs> um, so it's been really, really cool to see people enjoying this, liking the idea of it. And um, we are just so thrilled to bring you our digital download shop. And there's more coming. There's there like, is so much more I, I coming. Get to oh see the, I get to see the project planning that's going yeah. on. And um, Tell them what's coming up. We started with weddings, and I think the timing couldn't be better. As we know what Emily Post, this is where we start to get a lot of wedding questions. People are thinking about planning, getting ready for summer weddings. And I think starting off with major wedding parties was an obvious choice, but it very quickly showed us how how good these are for planning parties and events. And all of a sudden the applications for that started to spiral open. <laughs> we have dinner party planning and business lunch planning. There are all kinds of event planning applications here that are that are queued up and we will be releasing over the next several months. But we've got products coming in the kids and parents category, which is really where the, the sort of original idea for yeah. this began. We really <laughs> wanted <did. laughs> packets for parents, things that people could just open and do with their kids around the kitchen table. And have those be focused enough that if you had kids who were at different ages, at different stages of social development, the materials and the information would be right for them. And and that's hard to do with a general book about children's etiquette. But with these more targeted digital content packages, these digital downloads, we can really do that. And it's just awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> Dan, the one that I'm working on right now is one for job interviews, and that's one that we want to make really accessible to everybody. Uh, we've also got ideas for things like house guest, uh, a nice checklist for you to be able to kind of run through as you prepare for a house guest and even setting it up right. We have a wonderful, I'm almost through making this one. This one I think almost every awesome etiquette audience member might want, and that's our thank you note smart list which this is just a thank you note ledger that you can use throughout the year to keep track of the favors, gifts, things you might want to thank someone for when you've sent them. It's, keep it it's, on your phone. I, like keep it on your phone, running tally. It's I, I love this thing so much. I can't wait to start using it. But we are really hoping. Ooh, ooh, ooh Lizzie Post, I just had an idea when you said this is going to be just right for the awesome etiquette audience. Oh, what's that? Do you have one yet for keeping track of who ordered which toppings for the pizza? <laughs> no, we haven't. Because that could settle a lot of disputes, right? If you... I could, given okay, the so amount so of reaction we got for, for that, anchovy. Dan, that's brilliant. Oh, we should come up with one of those as a freebie to the whole awesome etiquette audience. And this is the thing. I want everyone to know that I've been listening to you for long enough now that I know you're picturing how this is going to be designed. What the yes. layout. It's, it, there would be a, a circular yeah. shape. It would look a little like a pizza and you would fill in percentages and people's names and it would look really good. We're going to end up getting you making these. <laughs> these it's, it's been a lot of fun coming up with these. If you have ideas, audience, about things that you would like once you see these digital planners and, and if they inspire you for a subject, let us know. We'd love to think about how you view this as useful in your life and, and where we might be able to fill some gaps. But for now, we are very excited to be launching the Wedding Parties packs. There are three of them. Check out the link in our show description. Check out the link on our homepage. Check out the link in our Substack. 
<laughs> if you haven't Go subscribed to Instagram our Substack, or at please. least look at it. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Follow our social media. You can definitely get in on the 20% discount code that we are currently offering over there. And so please, please, please check out these planners, give them a try and get excited about all that the Emily Post shop is going to have to offer within the coming year. Lizzie Post, there's something else that's coming. Is it's the it rest the of this show. Because, like, our show is about questions, right? <laughs> and we have some great questions this week. Shall we get to it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Lizzie Post, I'll take the read on this first question because I'm looking for you to provide some answers. Totally. Question number one is titled Makeup Manners. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a question regarding hair and makeup artists for a wedding. My fiance and I are planning our wedding and we are both men. So we haven't planned on bringing someone in for hair and makeup since we won't be needing it for ourselves. However, we will be having a few of our female friends in our respective wedding parties, and the topic has been brought up casually by one of the groomsmaids. We don't have an opinion on how hair or makeup should be done, but we want to be respectful if this is something they would be interested in. Our question is, who is responsible for coordinating hair and makeup when there are two grooms? 
Is this something we should be taking care of as part of our wedding planning, or would this be appropriate to delegate to one of our groomsmaids to look into? And in this situation, who would be responsible for paying if someone were to be brought in for these services? Thank you for all the great advice you give. Befuddled grooms. Befuddled grooms, thank you so much for this question. Also, thank you for groomsmaids. I had not heard that one yet. We we call them honor attendants when you have someone of a different gender on on your side, so sort of standing up with you at the wedding. But I, I like groomsmaids quite a bit. I just read in our wonderful book, Emily Post's Wedding Etiquette, uh, sixth edition, the answer to this very question. And I thought it was so well done. <laughs> and I'm not going to just read it straight out of the book for you. But I do appreciate the fact that Bridget popped this one in. And I was like, ah, good timing. I, you know, I've just seen a Q&A about this. And what I loved is that the advice that, that was written a number of years ago is still very, very true today. And that is that typically it's up to attendants to take care of their own appearance for the day, aside from the outfit that they're going to be wearing, which has been suggested by the couple. They're really free to do what they want with their hair and makeup. If the couple would really like particular looks, updos for the women, uh, things like that, or maybe it's hair down or something like that, and they decide to engage a makeup artist or a hairstylist, you are then as the couple on the hook because you're making a, a request of you're, you're making this a part of being in this experience. We highly suggest that you cover it. Lots of people can do their own look for the day and it is going to be lovely. It's going to be the version of them that they feel the most confident in usually. So we do highly suggest that people be given the option to present themselves in a manner that they feel confident and comfortable in. For some people, that might actually mean hiring their own person if you haven't done it. You know, like not all of us are comfortable doing our own makeup or hair. And so there is always the option as an individual for if hair and makeup hasn't been provided for you to do that. But overall, you're usually trying to have folks kind of not look the same, but have the same sort of level of look, I would say. And some people care, you know, if one person looks heavily made up and done up and another person has just very simple, you know, air dried hair and, and free of makeup, other couples aren't going to care about that. So it really comes down to the two of you, how you want your wedding party to look and if you are willing to then provide the resources for that to happen. I'm going to take a, a long <laughs> answer and reduce it down. <laughs> sure. So I could keep track of it myself. And is what I'm basically hearing, it's not an expectation. Like this isn't something that, that usually is something that a bridal party or uh, honor attendants would think of as being taken care of by the wedding couple. Well, now you're getting into tricky territory because uh -oh. there's a lot of bridal industry and I would say, um, you know, entertainment industry ideas, trends, expectations, examples, use the word you want, you know, of makeup, hair and makeup being taken care of for the bridesmaids or for the attendants. And it's worth recognizing that just because we see it in movies and television or just because we see it on influencer Instagrams doesn't necessarily mean it's what happens all the time in real life. 
I think we really have to be aware of that. Uh, it's the same same kind of blow up that I feel like bachelorette parties have gotten, where it's like I've I've had people write into us saying that it is a, a clear assumption that the expectation is a weekend getaway where you spend a lot of money. And that just isn't the case. That is not what what bachelorette or bachelor parties need to be. And it's the same with hair and makeup. It, there's a lot of expectation of updos, expectation of heavily done makeup and contouring makeup and all kinds of things. And it just is not, from an etiquette perspective, a must do. I like that etiquette perspective clarification. Absolutely. And... <laughs> I also like the idea that it's an open – that it's an option, that yeah. while it's not something that you expect, that it's certainly something a couple could decide to do for their attendance, maybe particularly if it's something that they're hearing from the attendance about. Although maybe I'm but guessing budget's the them. ultimate choice, yeah, or one of <laughs> the ultimate it, deciders. You got it. You got it. And I also really want to put out there that just because it's a nice thing to take care of this for your bridal party doesn't mean it's in your budget and doesn't mean that you are any less polite of a person if you don't do this for your bridal party. I think where it would be rude is if you had very high and specific expectations of hair and makeup for attendance and then told them they had to do it to participate and that you weren't going to pay for it. That is where we would start to say that doesn't sit right from an etiquette perspective. So I think as long as you're making it an option, I think as long as you're, you're – people are often looking for a little direction and that direction might even be please like do your hair and makeup as you feel confident, you know, and that – and that means that if they feel confident hiring someone, great. If they feel confident doing it on their own, great. If they feel confident not doing it, but just kind of having that natural as is look, then that is what might show up. And I'm, I personally think it's great. I know not everybody always does. And not everybody's natural look has the same uh, put togetherness as other people's. And so you get into all kinds of nooks and crannies that could be dangerous territory here. But I do feel like um, those are the options that you have. And being clear and consistent is probably one of the best things that you can do. And as grooms, it, it matters not whether you are engaging the services or not. You can, you know, you, you decide what you need and what you would like for the day. <laughs> Just listening to you talk, I'm kind of curious uh, what contouring makeup well applied might do for me as oh, I age. Dan, let's can audience, can you send him please TikTok and YouTube videos and Instagram links to contouring makeup? Get the Kardashians on it. Can we get the Kardashians on this please? <laughs> Befuddled grooms, thank you so much for this question. We bet there are many grooms who are wondering about this and we really thank you for writing in with it. We hope our answer helps and that you have a fabulous wedding. Yes, science has entered every field of beauty today. No matter what the problem or what type of face we have, advice is available to us. So that in a highly competitive world where appearance counts for so much, each of us can always look his best. Our next question is titled, Plain Passenger Problem. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. I fly once every one or two months, and I realized that I get annoyed, in my mind, by the fact that passengers wait in line for the security check, and only when they are in front of the security counter do they start removing belts, taking off their coats, and taking out their electronics. I find this attitude delaying the whole process. 
Which is the correct approach to this? Is it better to have a little dance while waiting in line? There's no grace in removing your jacket with one hand while carrying a bag. Or wait till reaching the security counter. I would love to hear your feedback. Regards, curious passenger. Dan, you travel a lot. You got thoughts. <laughs> I do have thoughts. And I just want to know how long we've got. Do we have time, Lizzie Boast? Because I've got a lot of thoughts here. Um, where to begin? <laughs> Go First of it. all, Burlington Airport, I love you so much. You are a great little airport. It is one of the easiest places I find in the country to get into and out of and get a flight and not be burdened by the process of navigating an airport. They have recently gone through uh, a change at the Burlington Airport where they've added a new security screening. And the new machines allow you to not have to remove your electronics from your yep. bag, to not have to take yep. out all of the little um, fluid items in a yep. clear plastic baggie. It is awesome. Thank you, Burlington. I am it's so like appreciative. like what I remember flying used to be. <laughs> and the machines look like spaceships have landed. They've got these giant colored lights that wrap around them. And it was my first time going through them on this last trip. It had been a while since I'd used that airport and... It was a new process for me. I think of myself as a very experienced traveler, as someone that has their uh, security screening protocols down to a choreography. And it is. It's, 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 it's an awkward moment definitionally. There's a line of people waiting behind you. So it's a moment where good courtesy dictates that you do continue to move at the fastest rate that you can. At the same time, there are very strict and specific protocols that have to be observed and followed. And for the most part, they're very consistent, but they do vary from airport to airport and over time. And depending on what little card the person hands you or your child or the person you're traveling with when you go through the first layer of that screening. I'm like going, you get cards? I haven't even gotten cards. <laughs> you might not that's have to take off your it. shoes and belt. Sometimes they might send you through a metal detector on the side instead of the microwave scanner. You just don't don't know what's going to happen until you're kind of up there, right? There's a little bit of variability. There's some things that tend to be pretty consistent. But as I learned in Burlington my last time through, even those things aren't universally consistent. So there is a courtesy around moving as quickly as you can, also listening as well as you can so that you're taking direction and you're, you're, you're actually hearing and adjusting what you're doing based on the things that you're hearing. There is that question of how soon you're capable of getting ready before you actually start to become more of a burden because you're in line holding shoes and belt and a bag that maybe has a laptop that has to come out of it and toiletries that have to come out. I used to call myself a four bin traveler because mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to need four bins. Maybe five if the person gets really specific and says my shoes or have phone or thing need to be in their own the bin as well. Computer has to be alone. <laughs> exactly. So that is a long intro to a question that says I, I don't have a specific answer about the moment, but I do have some general principles that I think are important. And we've started to introduce a couple of them. One, the awareness that there are people backed up behind you and people for whom time is critically important. People that didn't follow the good advice of leaving enough time to be able to be at peace in that line, however long it takes, who are, who are maybe going to miss a flight. Or got stuck in traffic or something they didn't see coming. <laughs> like they could have, you didn't know, leave enough time to navigate the traffic fault, on the way Dan. to the airport. <laughs> do you hear him blaming? Jeez. No, I'm kidding, guys. I'm teasing you. I do think there's also a certain courtesy to, again, to listening, to being ready, to doing those things. But then also to the extent that you can, you've prepared ahead of time. 
mm-hmm. that you know where your electronics are and where the fluids are hiding out in your bag that someone might ask to see. Um, and that if there are people that are traveling with you that aren't as familiar with this, that you've got them up to speed, or if you're traveling for the first time, that you've done a little bit of research ahead of time so that you got some idea what to expect when you mm-hmm. hit these moments. Dan, I'm also reminded of things like sometimes when we're in a line, it can feel so incredibly pressured, especially a line we often want to get out of. And like you, there are many times where I'm a four bin person and especially during the older rules of take off the shoes and take and and take out the I think we still take off the shoes, but doing the toiletries and the electronics separately and all of that. It was there was a lot going on, and I would often find it useful to give a quick look behind me before I actually stepped into the zone where I could start loading up on the table and everything and getting stuff onto the conveyor belt. Do a quick look, see if there's kind of anyone who looks like they don't have a lot going on. And if I'm taking a while, I'll sort of step to the side and stay at the end of that ga- that table that you're starting Ooh, to set and gather like your that. stuff on. And I'll offer to let people go ahead of me. And it makes such a difference. You can feel the relief when someone who sees me with like a big bag and a laptop and giant bag of toiletries and like boots, maybe lace up boots or something like that. That's going to take forever. It's a big relief. You can hear the relief when you say, hey, do you want to go ahead of me? I'm going to be a little bit. Um, I've had people do it for me. I've done it for people. I think it is a great tactic to remember that like – This is not like you have to be in the exact spot that you've been the entire time in line. Like, it's okay if you let someone go ahead of you. I like that. I also, I like the way you're thinking about interacting with the people around you in just a humane way. And (laughs) one of my favorite pieces of advice to give people about travel in general and security lines in particular is... Know that they're coming. Know that yeah. there's going to be a process of some line waiting involved in getting to your flight. And don't don't succumb to being frustrated and annoyed by it if you can help it. If you can keep a smile on your face, if you can be someone who has a patient, friendly smile with someone who's struggling a little bit, who has a amused, friendly smile with someone who's found some humor in one of these moments where you're taking off belts and shoes with a bunch of total strangers and trying to navigate this situation. Mm -hmm. There are lots of ways that you can connect with the people around you and contribute to de-stressing the situation in general. And it's a moment where, again, there's some time constraints. There's some, I think, unavoidable psychological impacts to being reviewed and security checked by officials and people in uniform and going through machines. It's a little nerve wracking. (laughs) <laughs> I think naturally bring up some things in people that maybe aren't aren't always our best, most humane elements of ourselves. But I, I think that we don't need to to fall victim to that. I think that we can we can retain our humanity and our good humor and our good nature in these moments as well. It's amazing how that being aware of the people around you, you know, just taking that minute to look up and and see who's behind you, who's ahead of you. It's amazing how much that small act of awareness can do do so much to impact how you end up impacting others, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And and everybody has a different best. Yeah. You you might be ready to do your best in this moment. The person right next to you might be doing their best, too. And that might be a stressed out, short-tempered. No, I think this is really an important point. Audience, this is one of those, like, very good point moments. I'm just pointing it out. Dan, 
Keep, keep going with it. <laughs> it. It doesn't mean that that guy who's giving you the direction about what to do, who f- seems impatient and seems like he didn't notice that you heard him and you're working as quickly as you can to comply and do exactly the thing that he just asked you to do, um, <laughs> m- might not be in the kind of good mood and have the pleasant disposition that you would want them to have. But that doesn't mean it has to ruin your day or even your experience of that moment. Or ruin how you treat people uh, as you go along the day. You know, it's like you don't want it to be that whole kick the dog thing where one thing leads to being rude to another person to being rude to another person. Absolutely. Who knows what the person before you said back to that person Mm -hmm. when they gave that same direction that they're mandated to give for the thousandth time that morning. Mm -hmm. I love this question from Curious Passenger because it's about a difficult and awkward moment and a difficult and awkward moment that they've become – a little less difficult and awkward about and the question of how you can convey that to other people, whether that's a reasonable expectation to have of other people is to me an essential etiquette question because it's about how you proceed with grace through moments in life where maybe people aren't meeting you with the same effort and attention that you're meeting them. And those are tough moments. I think it's good to stay focused on them and aware of them. And, And I think that can help us, retain that little bit of grace and and proceed through those moments with our best selves and our best intentions. Curious passenger, thank you so much for the question. You definitely have a, a couple podcast hosts here who who join you in your frustration and curiosity, and we hope we have been able to provide you with a few solutions and suggestions to help make the process a little bit easier. As many as 50,000 passengers pass through a major terminal in a day. Most of them with luggage. There are going to be continually more passengers. These passengers are going to fly more miles, and they are going to fly them faster. Our next question is titled Befuddled by Bonus. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I have an ongoing dilemma that I've been seeking a solution to for years. Mm. As a freelancer, many clients send holiday bonuses my way, often in the form of cash or gift cards. One client in particular sends a rather large gift card to a retail giant I don't support. Mm. Personally, I've chosen not to give this company any of my money due to unfair labor practices, environmental harm, and the issues they cause small businesses. Every year, I receive a four-figure gift card to this retail giant. So far, I've stuck to a thank you note, and I've used the gift throughout the year. After all, leaving the money in the pocket of the big guy also doesn't solve my moral concerns. Is there any way to shift a gift of this nature politely? I've got about 11 months before I can expect another large gift card from this client to the same evil empire. Chenna. This is such an interesting question, and it's a really difficult one because we're not talking about a close relationship, a close personal relationship here. We're talking about a business relationship. And the more formalized the relationship, the less we tend at the Emily Post Institute to lean into have that candid conversation. At the same time, it seems like a waste. You know what I mean? And I think the the client has a clear desire to give you something that would be useful to you. I find I don't have any sample language right now off the top of my head that would 
work well for saying to the client, I really appreciate the bonus that you give me. Could you put it in a different form? Just want to let you know I have cut ties with this particular retailer. Even that might not even be bad, but at the same time, it feels like directing someone's very generous gift, directing someone's very generous bonus. You add to it that it's a client relationship and I get even more squirmy when I think about it. I did wonder, Dan, if there was a place in which you could, and maybe the timing of when you send this is like a little bit before the holiday season or something like that. I'm wondering if because Jenna doesn't support this particular retailer personally, if that carries over to her business in any way, shape or form. And I just wonder if she's able to kind of in a blanket statement to clients, let them know that she will not be interacting with or participating with this retailer from a professional perspective. And if that might kind of be the nudge that would get them to use a different type of gift card come the holiday season. I think as a general question, my answer to that is that that would be fine. It's okay for businesses to do that sort of thing. Okay. My guess is that it doesn't without fit. <laughs> without a bunch of other statements of a similar nature, giving it some context, that the person receiving it would understand it's in relation to this particular gift. That would be my maybe maybe my yeah. concern there. It, so it's not a concern about the practice, but... And we don't know the nature of the freelance work. So it's like if they don't do anything or if they wouldn't offer services with this retailer to the, their clients, then it might be really weird to get like a, hey, I'm not doing services to this retailer kind of email, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it's tough. This is This is not an easy question because on the one hand, you'd think to yourself... It doesn't really have to be a big deal. Someone would want to give you a gift that you're going to want to use. Yeah. So letting them know what that would be that you feels don't use like that a, retailer. a helpful yeah. thing. And yeah, yeah, and there yeah. should be a way to do it. And I, I would love to find a good etiquette way to do that. But like you, the, the ground that we're walking on is tough. It's about a professional relationship where in general – we're going to say you're going to be careful about how you introduce politics into that discussion. Not everyone's going to appreciate it. And in some ways, the concerns, the the moral concerns and the practical concerns with this retailer could be viewed as as political questions. And sure. so there's that there, there's absolutely that level of of care that you want to take with it. And then there's also the question of directing a gift giver that it's not easy to give someone direction about what kinds of gifts to give you if they haven't asked for that, if they're not, yeah. if they haven't opened that discussion in some way. And, and maybe they've opened it by giving the same gift repeatedly. And it's a gift that brings up certain strong emotions in you. Again, I'm, I'm sort of laying out all of the caution signs mm -hmm. in the hopes that we might find a way to navigate through them to a good solution. But they're caution signs that I would want to be careful of and be aware of. The other thing that I think is important to say is that you don't have to accept the gift that one of the the choices that you have with something like this is you can depending on how strongly you feel let them know if they give you the same gift again that it's not something that you'd be able to use and it'd be better if they could find someone else to give it to that this isn't a, a retailer that you support you feel like that would be a good way to go with it that you could kind of like like redirect the gift before kind of accepting it or upon if they mail it to you, like letting them know. 
Exactly, and, and not, not an easy thing to do, but you, you, you especially say, when you've gotten it in years past or something like that. Yeah, and, and and just be as clear as you can how appreciative you are for the gift, the thought that you just honor them and the relationship and the the gesture, but that you really don't want it to go to waste and that you really aren't comfortable using it, and that that. Mm-hmm to me would be a way to to have that discussion at the moment where it becomes really necessary. And and again, that would depend for me on how strongly I felt about the gift not being something that I could use at all. Mm-hmm. And whether or not at that point, I would want to open that discussion with the person that had given it to me. What I'm hearing you say is that actually it, it, it seems like this point of receiving it would be the point to refuse it. And rather than like have a conversation, let's say in June about a potential thing or something like that, what I'm interested in here, Dan, is that for something where we said you kind of don't really refuse gifts or you don't tell people how to gift, that it's okay for you to decline a gift and that that is different from telling or asking someone, could you put this into a different format, even though you're essentially saying, could you put this into a different format? You're not, because what you're saying is, I can't accept this format that it's been given in. And I do think there is a little bit of an etiquette difference between those two. One is a refusal and one is a redirect. And it's interesting that with something like a gift, and we add into the gift mix that it's a gift in in the world of our business life or professional life, that a refusal of the gift actually could be, it could work is what I'm trying to say. And on top of it, that it doesn't do the thing of assuming a different version of the gift is going to show up or that you would appreciate it if they did a different version of the gift. So Dan, is there any stickiness with the fact that this gift has been received in the past? My brain is thinking that even though Jenna's had this policy in her own personal life, that that maybe framing the refusal in a way that it, it not acknowledges I've used the card in the past, but acknowledges this is a, a the sort of like the first time you're hearing about her not appreciating this particular retailer. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I almost want to have it say, I've decided that in now both my personal and professional life, you know, I, I, I try not to use this particular retailer. Um, so I want to thank you for your generous offer, but politely decline is that politely decline the gift and let you know that I'm so grateful for our working relationship. I really value you and I am so satisfied with our working relationship. I I don't want to like write Jenna out of getting a bonus next year, but when you're refusing a bonus in a particular form, I think that's a little bit of what you put on the table as a potential. And all of those concerns are what lead me ultimately to the place where, and this is editorial, this is just Dan sending personal reaction or response to me, okay. the, the social consequences, the immediate social consequences of declining that gift are awkward enough that I would probably choose to take it, use it in the store, say to myself, I didn't lay this money out. Someone else did. It landed in my hands. I'm not going to leave it with the store. And I'm going to stay active in other ways. I'm going to... Not use it personally. I'm not going to use it personally. I'm going to be willing to talk to the people that I can talk to about the people that I have a close enough relationship with where our political discussions are open and engaged 
well on both sides. Mm-hmm. And just again, this is me personally. I'm going to say that the, the drop in the bucket of me using that, I would say is is drop in the bucket enough in a big enough system that I'm going to be okay with that because the the more personal consequence of declining the gift would feel like a bigger deal to me. Dan, I appreciate that personal perspective and I I like the fact that you're leaving it there as a potential option. Jenna, whether you decide to start declining the gift or whether you choose to continue to use it, We really applaud the fact that you are considering your own morals and values and how you can most respectfully engage with the people around you when they come into question. Thank you so much for this question. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? next question is titled Cocktail Courtesy. Dear AE team, what is the appropriate way to enjoy the rim, sugar, salt, etc. of a cocktail? I'm assuming licking it with your tongue is not appropriate. Lacey, (laughs) sorry, I don't know why that made me laugh so much. It's funny because it's probably not appropriate, right? (laughs) And it's like your tongue, I just learned that your tongue like is a curious muscle and so it's constantly like exploring your mouth. And I just, the tongue, it's going to want to lick that salt, that sugar, you know, <laughs> it's hard not to. <laughs> well, and and as you're laughing and as I'm thinking, yeah, probably you don't want to be doing that. You know what a salt fiend I am. I would yeah, find it yes. difficult to leave salt behind and it, <laughs> it would be so tempting to lick it or like sort of. Remove it with Treat your fingers it like a and lick your fingers. Or, <laughs> I, I was even imagining myself like my three and a half year old, where she sort of like like takes her lips and wraps them around the edge of the glass. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but what's I, the right way to do it? <laughs> the right way would be to just subtly turn your glass as you're sipping it slowly. So that would be my each, yeah. official table manners etiquette advice is that you you enjoy everything that that salty sugary herbed up rim has to offer but that you don't make a production out of how you eat off the rim of the glass while you're enjoying your beverage dan you've got a note in here have been known to use citrus but not recommending it can you please tell me how you use the citrus well, again, you don't ever want to be playing with your food in front of people. And there's probably an answer that's, is this my first cocktail or my third cocktail answer? <laughs> but I, I don't know, have you ever taken a... And are we a, at a formal or an informal event answer? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and how, how many in are the people around me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever used the, the the piece of citrus to actually sort of swipe around on the rim of the glass and give yourself like a little bit of citrus as well or to sort of moisten the edge of the glass if you were going to salt it just a little bit sure so do doing that but do you take the citrus like i'm assuming instead of using it to get it to stick in this scenario you'd be using it kind of like a sweeper (laughs) like like it like use it to collect the salt or the sugar and then almost like like do the do the bite on the on the citrus Absolutely. So it's kind of like when you're taking a tequila shot and you do the whole lime salt thing, but not exactly because it's from a glass. Could you're not taking a shot without (laughs) licking, without using your fingers, but using something that's provided. Um, I'm also thinking that behind the bar, if you're setting the the drink up, that you can do that. You can you can 
wet the rim with a little bit of citrus before you salt it. But well, that that happens a lot, yeah. Like, but I don't think I would probably, especially if it was the process before, to get yeah, the salt off it <laughs> to get the salt off it, and that's only because then your your like your garnish. I feel like if it's like. An onion and olive or the maraschino cherry, it's like you you know you can eat that, and it's usually provided on that nice little cocktail toothpick for you to do so with. That lime wedge or that lemon wedge or that citrus wedge isn't always provided in the same way. Like sometimes it's on the edge of the rim of a glass, and then I could see – Sometimes it's dropped into the beverage. Sometimes it's into the glass, and so it's like I would definitely be picky about how I did it and in what company if I tried that method. But I like it because I hadn't ever imagined doing it. <laughs> I'm imagining how your father might answer this question. He's the <laughs> one who, as a host, would famously offer the dispensation to eat your clams or oysters from the half shell. Yeah. And not not to bother with that little fork, get the juices, enjoy your food. In fact, relish it. Bear in mind, he's also often doing that when he's offering you a plate of them and there's no fork in sight anyway. <laughs> like... <laughs> And I could see him thinking, you know, this is this is one of those moments in life where it's more important that you're enjoying and sort of have a convivial uh, approach to, to to being with other people. And at the same time, I, I don't want to completely lose track of the etiquette thread on this question also that you can – Take it too far. You can go from the, oh, it's okay. It's a, it's, it's a, a not too formal experience. I'm just having a drink with some friends. And you could end up being that person who's licking the glass and someone sitting there wondering what exactly are they doing here? <laughs> Lacey, it's a great question. And typically we really do think that the answer is you stick to collecting that sugar or that salt or whatever has been been put on the rim with each sip that you take with that little rotation and that that's really the most polite way to do it. Lacey, thank you so much for the question. We hope that our answer helps. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a member of our community on Substack by going to emilypost.substack.com. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to an ads-free version of our entire archive, as well as bonus questions and content, including our discussion threads and community. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already community members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Joan on episode 437 and having too many dishes at dinner. Hi. Regarding too much food, this happened to me this Christmas. Mm. I have a friend who always brings too much food. This year she brought 10 different cookies, cupcakes, etc. Even though I told her we would only need one or two. One of my relatives was grumbling about this, but I saw it as a gift. 
Oh, good. The charity with whom I volunteer had two big upcoming events, so I put a sampling of her gift on the table and then froze the rest to use at these events. She saved this charity money. Even if people don't have freezer room, I am sure there are food pantries or homeless shelters in the area that can use food. The shelter by me will even take made meals, like meat and veggies, if it is marked what day it was made. Check around. People can always use food, especially at the holidays. Thanks. Signed, Gifts Better Than Grumbling. Oh, Gifts Better Than Grumbling. This is a great way to look at it. And I want to thank you because I had always been told that some of the food shelves around me won't accept homemade foods, um, you know, no, no matter of whether they're marked for the day that they're made. But you've now got me wondering if I can look further to find places that do. Because I am that person who often bakes and cooks and bakes too much and would love a place to know that I could go donate it, but had been turned down in the past. So I like the idea that there are some places that do it this way. And you might be able to find them by not maybe going directly to a food bank, but instead something like a shelter. And so I really, really appreciate that. We also really appreciate your attitude around the extra. Thank you so much for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next question, piece of feedback, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to hear an interview Lizzie did with Emily Ladau, author of Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. Lizzie and Emily had such a good conversation that we've broken it up into a two-part postscript. Let's begin with part one. I am very excited about our guest today, another fellow 10 Speed Press alum, Emily Ladau, author of Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally, joins us to talk about disability etiquette. Emily, thank you so much for joining me on the Awesome Etiquette Podcast today. Would you like to tell our audiences a little bit about yourself and your book? Yes. Oh, my goodness. First of all, so excited. This is really cool. I have to tell you before I tell the audience about myself that in the book, I make a little bit of a joke about how I'm Emily Ladau and not Emily Post. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, now I get to talk about etiquette with someone related to Emily Post. So I'm just having a very full circle moment. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. And I was pleased as punch when I saw that in the book. And the book, ladies and gentlemen, is a, it's a really lovely book. Obviously, 10 Speed does a great job designing things, but I've really appreciated reading it. Can you tell us a, a, just a little bit about either why you chose to write it or, or a little bit about yourself, too, so our audience can get to know yes, you? Yes, absolutely. I know. I just got so excited. I had to mention that before I talked. <laughs> I, I did too. And I jumped in. I was like, Lizzie, you've got to bring it back to let her finish what you asked. <laughs> so a little bit about me. I am what I joke is a professional disabled person. I am disability 24 seven. 
It is both a part of who I am. It's my identity, but it's also my career. It's something that I am really passionate about educating about. I really want people to understand disability as a natural part of the human experience rather than as something that we feel alienated by or uncertain around because more than a billion people worldwide have a disability. So this is not a niche topic. This is very relevant. You or somebody you know, whether they identify as such or not, has Mm -hmm. a disability. And so I think it's really important that we understand how to interact with someone who has a disability rather than kind of curl up into ourselves and feel afraid of it. So that was a big reason that I wrote the book is because I want to make disability accessible. I really love that because as you write in the book, I think you are very right. A lot of people immediately put themselves on eggshells around the topic of disability. And in reading your book and actually my own experience over the last few weeks, like I even my own eyesight is something I wear corrective lenses. And that would be something that without I would be considered unable to see, unable to drive, um, not able to participate in the world around me in certain ways. And I don't think I've ever had that moment of thinking about it in a very, very, very long time. And so it was just reading some of the intro sections of your book helped me think more, even more broadly about some of the folks in my own life who I might not necessarily think of as disabled, but who technically from what we're talking about in this book would be considered that. And so it's a, I think in a, in a very interesting way, a very inclusive moment to kind of feel like, wait, 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 most of us are in this together. Like this is a big group of people. I love that you brought that up because we don't tend to think about something like wearing a pair of glasses as being assistive technology, but it absolutely is. We all have things that we need in our day to day lives that help us in some way. And we are all interdependent in the sense that we sometimes rely on other people for assistance. And so when we start to look at it as being a very normal part of existence to need help, to need support, I think that takes away some of that fear that we have around disability. I think it also helps us open up our our brains uh, to the idea of norms and standards and where they aren't inclusive. Uh, in fact, just one of the, uh, we were talking just before we started the podcast about uh, digital downloads that I've been creating for Emily Post. And I've always loved that our children's programs have uh, the magic words in ASL. But when I was doing our handshake advice, there were a couple things. We've started in the past couple years adding if you can't make eye contact because some people can't sustain eye contact, even though that's a very common part of a, a classic gesture of a handshake. But even the idea of not just having the advice that a handshake is this standard, but instead reframing it as an option that it is one way of having a respectful and courteous greeting, but not everybody can and not everybody does shake hands. And that actually even goes beyond disability because some people don't for religious reasons or personal reasons. And so it was, I, I personally like 
the impact your book is already having on Emily Post advice, because uh, it's it's getting me to think in broader ways about how our advice might come across where it might not be as inclusive as we want it to be. So I really appreciate and that. And this is my kind of etiquette conversation, because yeah. <laughs> so often I hear things like make eye contact, have firm grip when you have a handshake opportunity. Yeah. And these are just things that I've come to internalize as being the quote unquote correct way to engage with somebody, but it can make someone really either physically or cognitively uncomfortable. And so then is that really good etiquette if someone's uncomfortable in the situation? It's a really good question. And is it really inclusive if you're giving instructions about something that not everyone can participate well in and you're claiming this is the most, the best, the trusted? So I, I just I appreciate the perspective that you're helping us open up here at Emily Post. <laughs> this is amazing. I love that we're modernizing and creating more inclusive etiquette. And I think that that is so essential because we can get really stuck in our ways sometimes. We can. Tradition is a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. We talk about how important traditions are on this podcast. And we talk regularly about how important it is to evaluate them, see how they're working, where can they be adjusted, why did they come to be in the first place. So I'm all about tradition, but it's always worth examining it. Absolutely. <laughs> Emily, there was another section um, from the book that I really appreciated. And it's actually not your Disability Etiquette 101 chapter yet, but we are going to get to that audience. Don't worry. But I'd love to start with a section that comes up early in the book where you identify and describe person-first language, which I believe our audience is actually really attuned to, they're really familiar with, and identity-first language, and the difference between the two, why you might choose one or the other in a given situation. I also personally loved your own anecdotes about how you've wrestled with these two terms and the best ways to use them. It was, it was very delightful. <laughs> Everybody wants the standard answer. They are always looking for mm -hmm. me to say, here is the rule that you follow when it comes to language. Yeah. And I totally understand that because language is really tricky. You don't want to cause harm. You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But at the same time, language is so deeply personal. It is impossible for language to be one size fits all. And so every time people say, okay, what should I call you? What should I say when it comes to disability? My answer is that really depends on the person. And that is the best etiquette finding out whenever possible someone's preference. But then people will tell me, well, what if I don't have that opportunity? Sometimes it's a matter of tuning in and listening to how that person might refer to themselves or having a default that you go to and then adjusting if you're corrected. Mm -hmm. And so in the case of person first and identity first language, an example of person first is to say person with a disability. And this is really a way within the sentence to separate out personhood from disability. And this came from advocates with disabilities who said, we are so tired of being seen as less than because we are associated with disability. And then the, the, like the disability is always coming first, and exactly. then they recognize we're and people behind And people were it. only yeah. seeing disability and not seeing the whole human. Mm -hmm. And so then you have disabled people who said, 
disability is part of my identity. You don't need to separate it from me in order to see me as a whole person. I am a whole person and I'm disabled and that is okay. Mm -hmm. So call me a disabled Mm -hmm. person. But this gets confusing because you never know which is the right one and who wants you to say what and who doesn't even like the word disability at all for that matter. Mm -hmm. No. And that was another important point that I thought you brought up early in the book was that some, some people really appreciate this word and it was fought very hard for legally. I mean, there's a a moment in our history where this was just huge and it was the language and the word that, that was chosen. And at the same time, not everybody identifies with it. Not everybody feels confident or comfortable with it, or they've found other ways of forming their own identity around the the human being that they are to feel comfortable and confident with. And you're right, it, it, it creates this like sticky wicket. It's this moment of like, so do you or don't you or how do you? And I love what you say about having a couple of go to's that are kind of like your defaults and being willing to adjust them or redirect them if you need to. And I'm wonder. I, I feel like there's also a way you could build. We, we do a lot of sample scripting here on awesome <laughs> etiquette. And I, I think I hear people finding ways of saying person with a disability or, you know, however you prefer to identify, I'm happy to use that terminology. And I think it lets someone know that you are trying that you have to start somewhere when you don't know. And if you've gotten it wrong, you are more than happy to correct it. And I think in some ways, that's kind of the best you can do when you don't know what someone's wishes are going to be. I am still constantly learning. And I am someone who is disabled. So I would not expect that everyone's going to get it right all of the time, because there's no such thing as right or wrong, really, when it comes to something like identity. It's so personal. And for me, I've taken to giving me advice that I would like people to say person with a disability. And if they are advised otherwise, then modify from there. But I think that person with a disability or disabled person, if you go for that, tend to be the most straightforward and you're not Mm -hmm. avoiding the word disability. There's so much stigma that's connected to the word disability And as much as some people don't like the word disability, there are also many people who feel like if you avoid the term entirely and say something else, that that is equally as much of a faux pas as if you've called them disabled. It really, again, goes back to preference. But my default is always just say the word disability. This was another section I really appreciated, which was don't dance around disability. Like you don't have to create everything around it in order for it to be okay. You had six uh, or five, excuse me, phrases that you felt really kind of were doing this dance. And I've heard some of them used frequently. And so I, is it okay if we run through them, if I just kind of like read them out loud? Oh, real yes. Quick? Let's that talk okay? about this. <laughs> Okay, so differently abled. That is one I've heard a lot. People didn't want the disabled part of disability to feel like a like you were somehow limited or a level down from ability or something like that. I have always been so confused, to be honest with you, by the term differently yeah. abled because I feel like it really cancels itself out because 
everybody <laughs> has different abilities, whether or not you have a disability. So there is somebody who's really good at solving a Rubik's Cube, somebody who is amazing at singing, somebody who is a world-class gymnast, somebody who's... Like, we're all differently right, able. exactly. The <laughs> yeah. list goes on. Yeah. Everybody has different abilities. The next one on your list is handy capable instead of uh, a handicap, I'm assuming, right? Is is that what yes. we're going for here? So Okay. And <laughs> you had a very short description, audience. Does anyone seriously use this question mark? Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because in most cases, I have heard this used in jest or in a joking manner. But there are also really people who think that calling me handicapable somehow brings out the capability side of things. And it just makes me feel so patronized. It's very cringy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next on the list was mentally or physically challenged. And this one I find, it, it, this is really common. Like I, I had to do my own like, okay, this is not like, you know, register. You've heard those terms. Those weren't appropriate when you heard them. So for me, I struggle with these terms because I, as a person, am not challenged. The challenge is so mm -hmm. often in the environments that we create and in the stigmas that we put on disabled people. And so to call me challenged makes it feel as though I'm somehow at fault for who I am as a person. Like the, the sidewalk was built and you should have been built to use it. Right. Like how dare I not adapt to the environment? What's in exactly. place? Yeah. 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 Um, that was another one where your perspective on that really helped me understand why this term wouldn't be an acceptable term. Special needs. That's one I grew up with. That was a, a classic from the 80s and 90s childhood. Special needs. And, and what are what's kind of the reasoning for thinking this one dances around disability? Oh, my goodness. This is my least favorite one. Although I think it's time okay. that I give the caveat that if somebody listening prefers this term for themselves, I want to acknowledge I respect that. And that I'm speaking totally from my own experience here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But special needs to me implies that somehow my needs are not human. And we all have human needs. Like they're needs. extra somehow. Exactly. And I can be a little bit extra. Like I just want to acknowledge that I make a joke and I'm just going to say, and she's going to feel called out for this, but our shared editor from 10 Speed told me to cut this joke from the book, but I'm going to tell it now because <laughs> I like it. Okay. My special needs are for you to fan me and feed me grapes and treat me like a princess. <laughs> okay, see, somebody Sorry, appreciates it. I think it. it's a good joke. <laughs> I think this is funny. Maybe I'm off. I don't know. <laughs> but no, you're right. My special needs are in the category of luxury and spa treatment. Thank you very much. Right. Like somebody bring me an espresso in the morning. Breakfast in bed, please. But, you know, the rest of my needs are not special. I'm just a human being who has needs to survive like everybody else. Yeah, they're not additional uh, on top of you are a human and this is how you are interacting with the wor world around you. Those just simply are your needs. They're not special. Exactly. I, I appreciate that. This one I had never heard before. It's the final one in the list and it was twice exceptional. Um, <laughs> help me out. What, what, what was the thinking 
I, I don't know. This is this th- this feels like someone patting me on the head, like you know, like oh, you're special, you you're you're more amazing than anybody else, you unique creature. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I'm hearing from this. How did this one come? So from? this one is really something that comes up in academic spaces a lot, and it's intended oh. to talk about someone who has a disability, but is also gifted in certain areas. That's the term that they use. And I have always found that to feel very patronizing because it's sort of creating a hierarchy of disability. Mm -hmm. And it's saying this person is exceptional because they can do this and you can't do this. So therefore you're not exceptional. You're just disabled. You're differently abled. It's like more separation, even though yeah. it's like it's like highlighting the wrong features right now. <laughs> and this is something that I was exposed to a lot because I have a physical disability. I use a wheelchair to get around, but I don't have a cognitive disability. And when I was younger, people would tell me, well, your legs don't work, but your mind is fine. And I used to think that was a compliment. And now I realize that is wildly offensive talk about bad etiquette you're literally pitting me against people with cognitive disabilities and somehow putting me on a pedestal above them yeah no it doesn't serve anybody it sounds like so whenever possible i really really want people to just use the word disability I love that. I really love that advice. And I think our audience will also really appreciate it. I feel like I'm hearing some collective sighs of relief out there right now, just already knowing kind of why some of these words that and phrases that have been a part of our lexicon for a while now really wouldn't be the one to lean into <laughs> or the ones to lean right, into. Right, right. We have to pause our interview here. And if you are interested in learning more about Emily Ledow, please visit emilyledow.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-L-A-D-A-U.com. And remember, we'll be back next week with the rest of this interview with Emily. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Lizzie. I always feel a little sheepish when we give our own salutes on the show, but we happen to not receive a salute this week. And I happen to have a moment when I really wanted to give someone my gratitude. I wanted to pump them up and put them on a pedestal because my goodness, did they make a difference to my life? Dan, I think you will know what I am talking about. I was able to work with the folks at Square Up which is one of the payment gateways that we use here at Emily Post. And I got to uh, Myra at Square Up, who managed, she was so good at listening to the issue I was experiencing. And she happened to remember that a sister site to Square Online actually had the feature that I needed. And she was able to then connect me to customer service at the sister site of Weebly, where I met Ira. And she changed my life (laughs) that night. (laughs) She took so much time. I mean, like we're talking, by the time I reached her, I was already an hour into a customer service call. And she then took the time to completely get me set up the right way on a Weebly website to sell our products on. And 
I mean, like, hand took me through the steps to get me there. And, and troubleshooted the moments where the platform maybe wasn't behaving quite the way we had expected it to. It was the most unbelievable customer service I have ever had. Uh, she was incredibly patient as we tested things together. And she was also able to do things like see what was going on on the back end once I changed something. Honestly, the two best customer service agents I have ever dealt with, Myra, because she took the time to really think through and remember experiences that she had had with other clients in other spaces that might benefit me. She didn't have to do that, but she did it because clearly she cares about helping the clients who call in, and she really made me feel that way. And then Ira, who just absolutely... I mean, I started my next day at work with Dan with a glowing review of these two because they really made a huge difference to our business in a moment where I was a bit panicked. They very patiently guided me through everything I needed, and we just wouldn't be sitting here today able to launch the digital download store the way that it is with the ease and functionality that it has if it hadn't been for these two incredible women from the Square Online and the Weebly online support teams. And I just, I really, they they made a huge difference to our business, and I appreciate them for it. So big, big salute. <laughs> Courtesy in a call center, courtesy on a customer support line, just a glowing human connection that happens when you're calling in for tech support couldn't be better. <laughs> so thank you. And I, 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 we can't say thank you. I can't say thank me for the salute. <laughs> well, Sorry. I could say thank you so much for this salute. <laughs> well, thank you to everybody who's listened today. <laughs> And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Substack. Please help us grow our awesome etiquette community and connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, coworkers, the stranger next to you on the subway, uh, however you like to share your podcasts. You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider supporting the show by becoming a community member. You can do this by visiting emilypost.substack.com. Or you could also subscribe to the ads version of our show, engage with our sponsors, and simply subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Please consider leaving us a review wherever it is that you listen to the show. It helps our show rankings, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dow. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and and Bridget. Bridget.